Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Forsaken by the Lord, as we pick up in Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 17. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. All of these things took place until finally, as God said, they were dispersed into all the nations of the world so that God literally fulfilled those things that he said he would do to them. He did, and their land lay desolate for centuries. The cities, desolate for centuries. Now, it is interesting to go through the land of Israel also because you'll see interesting-looking mountains, which aren't really mountains, or hills, which aren't really hills. And and they are tells. And and they are the ruins of the city, and it's hundreds of tells all over the land. Sometime when I take one of these seven years off, (laughs) I'd like to get a shovel and just go digging in some of those tells because of all of the cities that have been just ruined and they're just lying there and they're covered now with dirt and and just totally desolate, just like God said. And then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths, and it surely has done that. And as long as it lies desolate, it will rest, because you did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness into your hearts. In the land of your enemies, and the sound of a shaking leaf will chase them, and they shall flee as fleeing from the sword, and they shall fall when none is pursuing. It'll give them a fear in their hearts. Wherever they go, they'll be fearful people because of the persecutions that will arise. And they shall fall one upon another, and they will perish among the heathen and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And they that are left of you shall pine away, and so forth. But then God declares, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, they have trespassed against me, that also they they have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and then they accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember and I will remember the land, and the land also shall be left to them and shall enjoy our Sabbaths and lie desolate. But then yet for all of that, verse 44, When they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them nor destroy them utterly to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. In other words, I will preserve them as an ethnic group, which God has done. He kept his promise. He kept his word. No other nation, no other nation has had that same fate. Every other nation who has been without a homeland has disappeared as an ethnic group, not the Jew. He has remained a Jew to the present day. God kept his word. Now these are the statutes and the judgments and the laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. And so God gave them the laws and then he gave them the conditions. If you keep them, I'm going to bless you, break them, and 
these are the things that are going to happen. So the things that have happened are just things that God said would happen. And uh, you can't really blame God because they did happen, because God said they would. And if you'd only listened to God, you would have known it. Now the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them, When a man makes a singular vow, the person shall be for the Lord by thy estimation. Now, if you, if you make a vow unto God and say, God, I'm going to give you my life. Wonderful. Now I want to take my life back. Lord, I've decided not to give you my life. Well, hey, he won't play Indian give you with you. You want to take yourself back now? You don't want to give your life to God? Okay. Drop 50 shekels of silver into the pot, you know. You had to buy yourself back from the Lord. You made a vow. You made a commitment. God, I'm giving my life to you. Now I'm going to take my life back. Okay. You can buy your life back from God for 50 shekels or 60, what is it? 50, 60 shekels of silver. Uh, 50 shekels of silver. That's if you're a man. If you're a girl, you get better off. You're only valued at 30 shekels of silver. <laughs> now, the main idea is be careful what you promise God. You know, the Bible says when you, when you, when you come into the presence of God, don't be swift to speak. You know, really weigh your words. The psalmist prayed, Lord, don't let me sin with my lips. And I think of how many times we actually sin with our lips when we're making promises and vows to God. Now, the Bible says it's better not to make a vow at all. God doesn't require you to make vows. So it's better that you don't make any vow at all than to make a vow to God and break it. Because God takes you serious. Now, what if we tried to treat each other in our transactions like we treat God? Well, friend, I'd like, you to get, I'd like to give you my car here. Let me sign over the pink slip. Oh, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. I need a car. And then I come back the next day and say, I, I've decided I don't want to give you the car. I want it back. Oh, man, I've already put new tires on it. And, you know, well, I want it back, my car, you know. We do that with God so often. No, we do, God, I want to give you this. Lord, I want to take it back. No, the Lord takes you serious. He doesn't play those kind of games with you. All right, you want it back? Put in the kitty what it's worth. And that's what the whole chapter's about. Anything that you vowed to God, anything that you promised to God, if you wanted to take it back, then God charged you. You'd have to come in and give the estimate for it, and you'd have to pay the estimated value of that thing. You just don't get it back from God. He doesn't just give back to you. You have to buy back what you've given to God. You want it for yourself. So it starts out with people promising their lives. Oh, God, my life is yours. I give my life to you. Fine, I'll take it. Oh, God, I want my life back. All right, 50 shekels. Oh, God, I give you my lamb. This little lamb, Lord, is your little lamb. Fine, I'll take it. Oh, Lord, it's growing up to look so nice and all I could pray. Okay, buy it back from me. So, but then, if you bought the lamb back, not only did you have to pay the estimated price, but you had to add 20%. God wanted interest on his money. <laughs> it's not so easy. The bank hasn't really, uh, you know, gotten quite as bad as heavy as God as far as 
interest rates. God always said add a fifth part thereto. And so here in the 27th chapter, things that have been dedicated to God, those things, God accept them. They, they belong to God. God considered ownership of them. Now if you're trying to renege, take it back, God would allow you to do it, but you'd had to pay for it. And then in the matter of, of, of things, you had to add a 20% surtax on it uh, unto the Lord. And the various ages by which things were valued and, uh, and, the, and the thing is you couldn't make any switcheroos on God. You couldn't give him, you know, a lamb and it grows up to be real nice and then you had a, one that just was sort of sick and scratchy. Oh, well, I'll just switch it, you know, and do a switcheroo on God and give him this poor one. He, he wouldn't go for that either. And so you try that switcheroo, they both belong to God. And, and so no switcheroos on him. He, uh, he wouldn't go for that kind of a bit. And you try that kind of stuff, you get in trouble because then he'll take them both. And uh, so he goes on and, and lays out this whole thing of, of things dedicated to God. And if you wanted them back, the ways by which you got them back. Now, as far as the firstborn of anything, that just automatically belonged to God. God laid claim to the firstborn of everything. The firstborn lamb, the firstborn calf, the firstborn uh, of any of the animals, they all belonged to God. You wanted to keep them, you could buy them from God. But they, God just automatically laid claim to the firstborn of everything. Even your firstborn son you had to buy from God. He, was, he, was, he belonged to God, firstborn. God claimed all the firstborn, so the firstborn is mine. And so you want him, you can buy him. So God is a, is a, is a shrewd businessman. And uh, he, he deals in a very straightforward way. So the firstling of the beast, which should be the Lord's firstling, no man shall sanctify it. You don't have to dedicate it. It's already God's, whether it's an ox or sheep. It's the Lord's. And if it be of an unclean animal, you know, if it's a horse or an animal that was considered unclean, you couldn't offer it to God, then you had to buy it from the Lord because it's still the firstborn. It still belongs to God. So you have a firstborn horse, you have to buy that from the Lord. He didn't want the horse, so he'd just take the money instead. <laughs> and uh, so and you shall redeem it according to the estimated price and then add a fifth part thereto. If it is not to be redeemed, if you, if you don't redeem it, then you've got to sell it for the estimated price. Notwithstanding, verse 28, no devoted thing that a man shall devote to the Lord of all that he has, both of man and beast, and of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. Once you're devoted to the Lord, it belongs to the Lord. None devoted which shall be devoted to men shall be redeemed. And if you try to do it, you're to be put to death. Now, all the tithe of the land, whether the seed or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. So God just laid claim. He just came and laid claim to a tenth of everything. Of the first fruits, the first tenth belongs to God. Whatever's left is yours. And, and there, was just, there wasn't any quibbling about it. It just first tenth belongs to God. Now, if you would hold back that tenth, if you would at all redeem that tenth that belongs to God, he just considers it belongs to him. If you're going to hold back at all, then you've got to add 20%. Some people borrow from their tithes. Man, that's rough interest. 
20%. You borrow on your tithes. Because God said, that's mine. Keep your hands off of it. It belongs to me. And if you take from it, then add a fifth part thereto, 20%. And if a man, verse 31, will redeem all of his tithes, he shall add thereto a fifth part, 20%. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock, even whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now you're not to, now you see, when you, when you bring your flock in, Every tenth one belonged to God. You know, the little firstlings of the lamb that come through? Every tenth one, lords, separated. Hey, and you're not to look and see, you know, the tenth one coming through, and you watch, oh man, you know, and, and move the line. God doesn't want any fudging. And so, as you're passing him through the rod, you know, and all, the tenth shall be holy, Lord, and you shall not search whether it is good or bad. Neither shall you change it. Because if you change it, then both the one that was supposed to be Lord's and the one you changed it for, both belong to God. It shall not be redeemed. Now, these are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. So, he said, man, God, you know, is asking quite a bit. Yeah, but look what he's giving you. Three seven-day vacations during the year and every seventh year off. Plus plenty. Plus his presence. I'd say that you're getting a pretty good deal. Now, if you do your part, God does his part. If you will obey, this is what I'll do. As we come into the New Testament, and we read scriptures such as Christ is the end of the law to those that believe. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. For we are not under law, but under grace. It does mean that we do now have a new relationship with God, which is not predicated upon doing and living. And thus, if you'll read the book of Hebrews again, you'll find it extremely interesting to you from the Christian perspective. Because in Hebrews, it points out that this old covenant was predicated upon man's obedience. For the scripture saith, and he that shall do them shall live by them. So the old covenant was predicated upon your obedience, your doing it. But man failed. The nation Israel is the testimony of man's failure. God, in keeping his word, dispersed them out of the land, scattered them into all of the world, made their land desolate, yet maintained their national identity, and is now fulfilling that promise that he gave where he would again deal with them and bring them back into the land. But in the meantime, God has established a new covenant with man that is no longer based upon the old covenant, and he that doeth them shall live by them. But the new covenant is now established through the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And the new covenant doesn't emphasize what man does, but what God has done. Because the old covenant failed, not because it wasn't good, not because it wasn't righteous. It was a righteous covenant. Never look upon the law disparagingly. Oh, that's the law. Hey, wait a minute. The law is holy, just, and good. It's the law of God. I consent to the law that it is right. I read these things and I say, yes, that's right. My heart consents to the law. But my flesh rebels. And my flesh doesn't want to come under the yoke of the law. And thus, rather than being forever alienated from God and from the love and the life of God, God has now established a new covenant with man. And in the new covenant, God now accepts me on the basis not of what I am doing, but what a, on the basis of what He has done in sending His only Son to be a sacrifice for me and to bear my sins so that God can bring me into fellowship with himself. Now, the old covenant failed because of man's weakness. The new covenant cannot fail because God cannot fail. The old covenant predicated upon man couldn't make it. The new covenant predicated now upon God's faithfulness. Man's faithfulness didn't make it. God's faithfulness, hey, it's going to make it. It can't fail because God is faithful. And God is going to do what he said he is going to do for you who will just simply now believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You who will just submit your lives to Jesus Christ, you enter into a new covenant relationship with God through faith of Jesus Christ. And as you get into Hebrews, you'll read all about it. The better covenant established through better promises and better sacrifices and, you know, better priesthood, the whole thing that we have through Jesus Christ. And the comparison is over against the book of Leviticus. And the end of the book of Leviticus, how does it end? Men, the people are all alienated from God. The covenant that was to bring them into fellowship with God actually separated them from God and dispersed them into the world. So the old covenant having failed, it was necessary that God create a new covenant in order that man might be brought unto God. And that new covenant God has established and confirmed it through Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't want Jesus Christ, then the only way you can relate to God is under the old covenant. But no one was able to successfully relate to God under that old covenant. But that's your only choice. For there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, Peter said, the name of Jesus. So he is our hope. He is the basis of the covenant that we have. He is the basis of our relationship with God. And we have fellowship with God through him and through the blood of his covenant. So go back and read Hebrews this week. You're going to find the book of Hebrews is just going to come alive and, and open up to you like never before, having now had this foundation in Leviticus and this old covenant, which did fail. Now go back 
and reaffirm that relationship that you have with God through this new covenant in Jesus Christ, established on the better promises. Now, as we go through the book of Numbers, wherever you get into the Numbers, just skip it if you want. It's not required reading. Where you get into the genealogies of the families, skip those. They're not required reading. We'll let you off on that. So, but there are some neat little nuggets buried in some of these genealogies and, and truths and thoughts. But you don't have to read the whole thing. There are portions that you can just scan. But don't scan the whole thing because there are some really valuable truths in this first 10 chapters of Numbers. And so we'll take the 10, moving on through. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Leviticus 26 through 27 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you and prosper you in His love and in His grace, and in His fullness. May you just experience that joy of the Lord as your strength. And may you be established in the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ as we look for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who shall establish God's kingdom and bring us all into that glorious age of ruling and reigning with Him on an earth that has been renewed and revitalized, and one in which will keep the Sabbaths, no doubt, the years and the whole thing, glorious age of the King. May God sustain you, give you strength and power in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are the gifts of the Spirit? And how should I respond? 
It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep and personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.